You're listening to episode 32. This is Grace on Fire. Join your virtual pastor as he offers insight and inspiration into topics we all face. Be empowered. Gain confidence with God's grace so you can face life's most challenging problems. When you integrate faith in every aspect of your life, you can live an extraordinary one for a higher purpose. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. And hello and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, a.k.a. Smitty. And my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. You know, and with every goal, with every project that we take on, stands the potential of risk. That is to say that everything new that we try, everything that we want to accomplish in life, there is a risk associated, whether it's a risk of financial failures, a risk of relationship letdowns, or a risk of it actually succeeding in taking off. And so the question today is, how do we approach life with a healthy understanding of risk. So we're going to be asking that question today. I've got some heavy theology that we're actually going to focus on. So normally we'd have gone right into some street theology, uh, but we're actually going to focus and end on the theology today and try to get a better understanding of theology and risk. Also today, we're going to be talking about a new app that I'm working with. I absolutely love this app. And also we're going to do a little bit of a dad life segment. So changing things around a little bit in December, getting ready for the new year and getting our minds prepped for a successful 2017. But before we do that, I have a very special announcement for you. So let's get right into that. Well, my friends, I have a special announcement, and that is is that I'm launching a brand new podcast. You say, well, Smitty, you've already launched one podcast, and you're only about 11 to 12 episodes into the new one. Why are you doing a new one? And here's my answer to that. You know, I've always wanted to have a podcast that was dedicated to the messages and the sermons that I do in my weekly ministry. And so every single week, I have uh, sermons that I record, and the question is, you know, what to do with those sermons? Even more than that, last summer, I had invested in a logo for In The City, which was the original name of this particular podcast before I rebranded it to Grace on Fire. And so what I decided to do was I said, you know, I went back to that idea of In The City because as a minister in a a city, you know, a medium-sized city, we're not a big city, or we are a medium-sized city though. You know, we have a couple million people that live in Central Florida. And I, I've noticed that uh, I have a tendency to speak and preach on urban themes. So I am launching Faith in the City, which is a podcast dedicated to the sermon messages that I preach at Redeemer. So if you are interested and you would like to find out more, you can go to JonathanGSmith.com forward slash Faith in the City. And there you'll begin to see episodes appearing of the different messages of that I've Preach at Redeemer. It's a great way to get further into a gospel-centered life, and that is the goal of Faith in the City, to help you live a gospel-centered life through the liberating power of faith in Jesus Christ. Hope you'll check it out.
And now for Smitty's Life Hack Tip of the Week. And that brings me to my tip of the week. And I want to just tell you about this new app that I'm using. But before I tell you about the new app, I want to tell you about something else. And that is I have decided to get on a team that's going to be doing a thing called Savage Race. Now, if you're if you've seen these races out there, these obstacle courses that is uh, like Tough Mudder and some of these other events. I mean, they're pretty challenging. And so part of this has happened because I'm wanting to take my uh, personal fitness up to the next level as my friend Cliff Ravenscraft likes to say. And I'm doing this not only because I want to do it, but I decided that I want to challenge myself in a way that I've actually never, never have challenged myself. I've never been an athlete. I don't consider myself an athlete. I consider myself a geek. I like to sit behind a microphone. I like to read. I like to play with technology. But when it comes to athletics, that's not something that I've ordinarily uh, have done. But I'm in my 40s now and I've said, you know what, this is it, man. This is it. I have got to embrace life and to challenge myself physically. So my new app is Lose It. And it's an app dedicated to helping you lose weight. And the way that it does that, and I, and I absolutely love this app, is it allows you to count calories. Um, and it also helps you monitor your nutrients, like uh, the ratios between carbs, uh, between uh, fats and proteins. Now, I know this much. If I eat flour and sugar, lots of that stuff, which I'm notorious for, you know, I just put on tons of weight. I mean, I just put on weight naturally. I can I can drive by a donut shop and put on weight. And so I have to have some kind of tool that just helps me monitor the things that I eat. Now, I love this because it takes a lot of the thinking out of the process. I've always been told, you got to count calories, man. You got to count your calories. And I'm like, dude, I don't have time to count calories because what a pain it is. I mean, you got to sit here and look at all the different labels and they got to think and they got to write it down and they got it all added up. I was like, I don't have time for that. Well, my trainer that I've hired, uh, his name's Blake Lavender. Shout out to Blake if you're listening. And I'm, I've, uh, he said, hey, check this out. So we looked at it, I downloaded it and I've been using it for about five days now. And so far, I'm absolutely loving it. And I've put in my personal goal uh, to drop 30 pounds. I want to drop 30 pounds. And so it gives me the number of calories that I can eat per day and it calculates how much time that should take. Now, remember, it's just a piece of technology, so it's only as good as the data that you put in. So if you start cheating and start thinking, well, I'm gonna fudge here, I don't wanna put that in there, then you're not helping yourself, so you gotta be brutally honest with it. But I, I gotta say, in terms of accountability, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal app. So if you're a little chunky, or you're trying to get in better shape, or you're just trying to improve your eating overall, it's not about losing weight. It can be just about maintaining a healthy lifestyle, um, about getting healthy, about taking care of your body. Here's why I am so emphatically excited about this, and here it is. I've noticed that the the, the more um, the better physically fit that I am, the more creative I am, and the better I feel, and the better I'm able to embrace life. And that's what it is. It's about living a life for a higher purpose. So my high purpose isn't just to be physically fit and you know to be a little sexy, no. My, my desire is to live a life for a higher purpose, ultimately a purpose that serves God. And in order to do that, I want to be in the best physical condition that I can possibly be. So go out into the app store, check it out. I have no idea if you're an Android user, if it's on Android, sorry. I'm a total, total Mac uh, guy. I have been for a long time. 
Thank you, Mac, for making my life incredibly easier. Anyways, let's move on to a funny dead, dead life segment here. Here we go. And that brings me to my dad life segment. Oh my gosh, I totally blew it this weekend. I just blew it. And here's how I did it. So I went, you know, I, we have this house that we bought. We bought a house uh, about a year ago. We went through all the renovation process and gutted the inside. It was a lot of work. It's been a, pen, a big pain in the neck, to be honest with you. And because um, I'm no HGTV kind of guy. I mean, it, everything's a labor. But just going through the process of gutting and renovating and, and everything. And um, we finally got through that. And so this year I said, OK, I'm going to decorate the house and I'm going to put some Christmas lights up. I want to want to make it fun. I also don't want to be, you know, that guy that's on the block who doesn't do anything with this house while everybody else around me is putting up Christmas lights. I mean, I even went so far to change my floodlights into a sort of a uh, Christmas color. I, I changed up the plain bulbs and put in green bulbs, which is really killer. It, it looks good. I like it. Um, the, I'm By the way, this is nothing spectacular. If you drive by my house, you'll see the lights are crooked and, you know, it's it's what it is what it is. But why I'm telling you this is because while I was putting up my lights, I completely lost it. And this is why. So I go to the hardware store. I'm like, okay, how am I going to put these lights up? Now, I don't have gutters around the house. I wish I did, but I have the eaves that go all the way around the house, little metal, uh, little metal pieces of metal that go all the way around the house. And so what I did was I bought some clips that would clip lights up, the little plastic clips. And so I'm putting up the clips. And I noticed that when I put up the clips of the lights, that each clip was really good at holding up one or two lights, but if I let the, the uh, string of lights just hang on one clip, they would all fall down. And so it took me a while, and, and I literally had to clip one each time, holding it, holding it, holding it. And then I came to that part in uh, at the house where I had to move the ladder and go around the corner. And so I had to be really careful not putting too much pressure on those clips, because if I did then the whole thing would fall down. Now, let me just go ahead and preface this because if you're listening to this and you say, hey, dork, why don't you just like throw the lights up on top of the roof and then move? Yes, you know, that would have been a very good idea. And I did actually discover that technique at the very end of the day. But aside from that, let's move on. So anyway, so I have the lights and I'm moving, moving, moving. I go around a corner and I needed to move my ladder and I also needed to, uh, to have someone hold the string of lights. So I grabbed my six-year-old son and I said to him, I said, listen, son, whatever you do, don't pull on these lights. And you know what he did, of course, he pulled on the lights. And as I was going around the corner, all of a sudden I hear dad and I hear this and all of the lights that I spent probably 45 minutes hanging up there had fallen to the ground. All of them, every single last one. And I lost it. I mean, guys, I lost it. It was so bad. I got so angry. And I remembered because it, it wasn't really even angry. It was just sheer, utter frustration. I was like, I can't believe that you just did that. 
And I said to him, son, just go inside. Whatever you do, just, just, just go inside. You're done. Just, just go. You know, for your own safety, you just need to go inside the house right now. And I did. I lost it. And of course, these big crocodile tears started showing up in his eyes and he, he goes running into the house. I was complete douchebag. Total, total. I'm just going to own that right now. I was a totally a douchebag there at that moment. And this is, you know, listen, this is why I am doing this dead life segment because I totally blew it. And the thing is today that I want to kind of share with you is the importance of of owning it when you have misbehaved as a dad. Because when you screw up, dads, you need to own it. You need to take responsibility for it. And so this is what happened. And this is always what is, I don't know, this is what always happens to me. So I'm back up there on the ladder, feeling mad, fixed all the stuff that was broken, you know, that was pulled down. And then I get around that corner and then guess what I did? I pulled on it and the lights not all of them, but this time, but a lot of the lights fell down. I basically did exactly what I just yelled at my son for doing five minutes earlier. And I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And it was at that moment where I felt the sting of the Holy Spirit come into my heart. And um, and I said to myself, ah, you need to go apologize to your son. And here's why. For two reasons. One, because I did commit sin by yelling at him and blaming him and taking all of my frustration and pouring it out to my six-year-old son, which was completely unfair for me to do that. And number two, he's going to learn based upon my reaction to that situation and will most likely act that way in the future. And I think that brings me to the deeper issue. Our children, dads, watch us and they will model our behavior in other circumstances. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you act a certain way, they will act that way most likely as well. And I have seen this, unfortunately, where most of the time the behaviors that I emulate, the negative ones, I end up seeing in my kids. And then I get that little phone call from the sweet teacher, you know, at school, uh, Mr. Smith, we'd like to talk with you about some disturbing behaviors that were seen in your son. Yeah, what are they? Well, he gets very angry and throws a temper and the other children. Hmm, I wonder why he's doing that. I, gosh, that's that's just shocking to me. I can't believe he's not. Thank you so much for bringing that to our attention. Meanwhile, I feel about two inches tall because I know I was a creepo to my son. You know, and that's just owning it. And you've got to own it. And so what I did with my son was as soon as I was finished, I put everything away. I went to my son and I said, Sterling, that's my son's name. I said, listen, son, I said, I am sorry for getting upset with you. And guess what? I made the same mistake that you did. And I'm apologize. Would you forgive me? You know what happened? I'm just going to say this right up front. My son completely changed his countenance and he smiled. And he said, it's OK, dad. And I was like, thank God. But the thing is that that concerns me is that I modeled that behavior. And so when he gets into a situation, is he going to act like that? Well, you know what? Unfortunately, I've seen that. I've seen that where I have misbehaved or acted up or did something. I've seen that reflected in our kids. And that's why I am just big on, hey, dads, remember, your kids are watching you. 
and they will do these things and they will watch what you're doing. And if you're not careful, they will end up uh, recreating or emulating all, if not some, if not, or some, if not all of your mistakes. And that's something that we have to take very, very seriously. And now it's time for our feature presentation. And that brings me to our feature presentation, which is going to be a little mix of street theology today, as well as talking about the topic of the week, which is how do we respond to risk? And here's why I'm bringing this to your attention. You know, last episode and episode 31, um, I talked about, you know, problem solving and challenges. And one of the first things I said was that you need to assess the risk of whatever problem it is that you're trying to solve, because there's a risk with, with everything that we do. But I think that as I was thinking about it, I immediately thought, you know, I need to kind of develop that thought out a little bit more and kind of talk through theologically uh, this afternoon, as this afternoon when I'm recording this, to kind of talk through theologically, you know, how we can approach risk from a very positive and what I'd consider a very empowering approach. And the reason why I say that is because risk is always associated with your view of the world and particularly your view of God. Do we live in a highly risky environment where it's out to get you? Or do we live in a world of opportunity where you can create positive things and it is a world open for success? In my opinion, those two views depend very much on your view of God or if you don't believe in God. If you don't believe in God, then we need to have a very separate conversation. So this is for Christians today. This is for you, the listener. And, you know, we have to talk about risk. And and part of risk is really understanding how to reframe it. And so I like to think of risk this way. I like to think of risk as a learning experience. Whenever you do something and it either succeeds or fails, you have not only done a risk, but you've also learned something. So risk is very much tied with learning experiences. Here's a real practical example. When I launched this podcast um, at the beginning of this year, I really honestly was taking a risk. I I just could be honest with you. I was really nervous. I was really nervous that anybody would respond and that I would, uh, you know, do a bunch of episodes and nobody would listen to. Well, the good news is, is that you're listening to this today and I really appreciate that. But there was a risk involved and, and there was also some learning experiences because I knew that after listening to the first, I don't know, 15 episodes, I thought, man, I wouldn't even listen to this. I got to come up with something new. And I, but I really love doing this. And so it was a learning experience and it was a risk. And with every behavior, with everything that we do, whether it's in business or ministry or relationships, there is an inherent risk. And the question is, is how can we really reframe that risk and do it so do it positively as well as being empowered so that we're not afraid? Because Christians, let me just say this, particularly if you're in business, we need Christian business leaders who are not afraid to take a risk, who are willing to learn from their mistakes and make the society better. Because if we're not doing that, somebody else is going to do it within the worldview that they're operating in. And frankly, some of those worldviews are scary, aka ISIS and some of the other things that we're seeing. So today, let's get into this. And I think that tied with risk, we need to kind of draw back and talk about something 
uh, that's really critical and associated with it. And that is the idea of miracle and providence. Now you say, Jonathan, how in the world did you get to miracle and providence from risk? Well, think about it for something for just a moment. Let's just say that you're in the process of launching a business enterprise, okay? And you wanna say, all right, I wanna launch an online business where I'm going to be selling uh, widgets that you know meet this particular need. Um, nothing creative is coming to my mind right now. And uh, you know, this widget will do this, all right? And you think that there's a need out there, and then you say, it's gonna take a miracle if this thing is gonna work or not. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, what we really mean by that, I think, is we really are talking about God's blessing. And what we're talking about is God's interaction. What we're really talking about is God's work in our lives. And the way that theology has always understood this is through two ideas, through miracle and providence. So let me give you an example of a modern day miracle that I've actually experienced firsthand as a pastor. So here it is. This was back in, uh, when I was uh, serving as an assisting priest in an Anglican church located in South Florida. And um, the, uh, the senior minister was gone. He was out that day. And he said, okay, you can handle it. You take care of it. So I was leading preaching, doing the whole, the whole thing there, the whole service. And afterwards, this man by the name of Patrick came into the church. Now, just understand the context. He wasn't some stranger that walked off the street. There was another congregation that met in that same building. We actually rented from them, and he was a member of the other congregation. And that congregation at that time did not have a pastor, and they just had interim pastors. And so I had seen him off and on uh, over the time that I had spent there and was assigned there. And um, his name was Patrick, and so Patrick and I became friends. So one day after the service was over, he walked in, and he said, Pastor, Pastor, can I speak with you? He had a real, you know, deep Southern accent. I said, yeah, Patrick, what's the matter? Well, I noticed immediately on Patrick that he had this large tumor on the side of his face. And I mean, it was probably the size, it was a little bit larger than a golf ball, but a little smaller than a baseball. I mean, it was about that size. And he says, I have this tumor on the side of my face. Would you pray for me? Now, let me just own up to something. At that time, in my life, I had this weak, anemic faith in miracles. I really did. I really thought, and, and I'm just going to confess this, I, I really did. I, I had sort of a pacifist approach to praying over people to be healed. And um, and I, I, just, I just totally will admit that. And so I prayed, I knew it, but pastorally, I knew what he was asking. And I said, okay, you know, I'll definitely do this. So I, I prayed some anemic Calvinist prayer, like, if it's within your divine sovereignty, O Lord, through the providence of your design in this world, of whom all things are in control, if you could so happen in your divine majesty to seek, have mercy upon this man and his tumor, amen. Something, it was something ridiculous. It was probably a little bit more street than that. But my point is to say this way. My point here is that I didn't believe in it. Here's what happened. Within a week, <laughs> within a week, Patrick comes back to the church and that tumor had completely disappeared. Now, here's the backstory. Yes, Patrick had gone to a doctor and had uh, had some some procedures done and 
uh, et cetera. So he was working and there was some medications involved. So it wasn't like this spontaneous instant miracle. But let me tell you something. It was a miracle because it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary thing because if you've ever seen tumors and you've ever known people with cancer and the things and the challenges that they go through, what I saw happen within Patrick was was nothing but a miracle. And even his doctor was saying he has never seen anyone respond to therapy quite like he did. And I felt so chastened, that is admonished, that is punished uh, by God because it was like God was saying, hey, I still do miracles and you better take these things seriously. So I'm a big believer in miracles and I'm even a bigger believer in praying for people's healings ever since Patrick because I learned so much from that experience. But this kind of brings us into the number one issue. Can miracles happen? Can can you do something that is just completely outside your comfort zone and can God work in that and can that really be a miracle? My answer is yes. My answer is yes, and here's why. Theologian John Frame, he writes this. He says, the regularities of nature are his covenantal gift to us, and they do not at all limit his ability to work in the world as he pleases. Now, here's where this is important, because there's some technical language in there, and I want to unpack this for you. We, most of us are raised and have been raised in a, in a scientific paradigm that says that the laws of nature are fixed. That is their gravity goes up. You throw the ball up. It's most likely going to come down. And if you throw that baseball up a million times, it's going to fall down a million times because gravity is at work and that ball is going to stay up there. Now, if it stayed up there, five seconds longer than the other 999,999 times, that would be an extraordinary miracle. And the question is, will it happen? Well, in the all probability, it's not going to happen. All right? It would be, however, an incredible miracle. But the question is, does that then negate the idea that God could do that? And the answer for the Christian is, no, it doesn't. Absolutely not. If God intended for that ball to stay up in the air one out of a million times, we should not have a view of nature and world and reality that says that that's an impossibility. And the reason for that is because there's nothing in the Bible, there's nothing in our Christian faith that says that we live in a mechanistic world where everything is fixed and nothing can happen. Nothing can happen. Tumors cannot be miraculously healed. And so he goes on and he talks about, you know, well, all right, so if it's if we if miracles are indeed possible and they are even indeed probable, that is that they can happen, then what actually is a miracle? Well, he actually gives three ideas here that I think are pretty important. Now, John Frame, he has a whole series called the Lordship series, uh, you know, a theology of lordship. And they, it is a dense, dense 
probably seven or eight, maybe even 10,000 pages of theology. It's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And if you can work through it, I highly recommend that you do it. So I don't want to go into details of all of that theology, but what I want to do is just try to condense it down to his main idea. And his main idea is this. He's, he says that when it comes to God, you can understand him in three ways. You can understand God as being in control, that he has authority, and that he is present in the world. So how does miracles apply to that? Well, miracles are the resort, or excuse me, the result of his enormous power. In other words, in terms of control, God is in control, and when a miracle happens, it's because he has the power to do that. He, even though he is the author of gravity, even though he designed all of the laws of gravity and all of the forces of gravity at work, You can throw that ball up there, and if God intends for that ball to stay there one out of a million times, he has the power to do that. Second, miracles also serve as a sign revealing his authority. So not only does he have the power to do it, but that also means that the laws of gravity that he set in motion, he can actually suspend those laws not just because he's all-powerful, but because he also has the authority to do it. That is that those laws are not, or he's not subject to those laws, but those laws are subject to him. So that means then that not only can he have the power, he also has the authority over these forces because that's incredible. That's how infinite and big he is. More on that in just a moment. And then finally, he says that miracles create in us a spiritual or religious awe pointing to his presence. Going back to my friend Patrick, I have to tell you, I'm still in awe to this day because it was a miracle. And I believe it was a miracle. And I've never seen a miracle, at least not in my Western experience. I have lots of friends that are missionaries overseas and they go into third world countries and they come back with all kinds of stories of miracles. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes as Westerners, we just simply don't see them because we are so rational and we are so ready to explain things away. And so we miss it. We miss it. And then, you know, a lot of evangelicals will say the only miracles that happened are in the Bible and all miracles have ceased. Well, John Frame argues differently. He says there is no biblical evidence that suggests that miracles have ceased. And so I say, hmm, well, if that guy's going to say it, then I probably should agree with him because I'm not going to overturn what he has to say. That, and he was also my seminary professor, so I'm a bit biased in all of that. But anyways, you see the idea here that miracles are indeed possible and that not only are miracles possible, but they are all indeed probable in the sense that God can work and that God should work or could work. And that is an exciting thing to me. But then there's another idea here. Okay, so that's miracles. And now we get into the opposite idea of providence. And providence is a term that I hear Reformed people talk about all the time. And so in God's providential plan of life, um, you are an idiot. And that's actually a true theological statement. You could actually make the case that, yes, in the God providence of God, and through the foreordination of the world, he looked at you and declared that you should be an idiot. Why? Because we need idiots in this world in order to show who are not idiots. Um, I'm being a little bit sarcastic there. But let me give you the definition of providence. So providence is God's work of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful 
preserving all his creatures in all their actions. Well, that's really cool. Think about that for just a moment. God's work of providence is our powerful preserving are his most holy wise and powerful preserving all his creatures creatures in their actions. In other words, meaning this, think through this for just a moment. Your life, the job that you're doing, you wake up every single day, the things that you experience are all under the hand of providence, that God is guiding your life, that he is taking you on a journey, and the purpose of that providence is ultimately to shape your character. Now, you're probably asking, you know, okay, Smitty, I got you, but what does this have to do with risk? We're going to get there, but let me just kind of, you know, give you a little bit remaining theology on this, because this is really important. This is really critical stuff. So what does it mean personally for you? Well, Think of miracles in providence in a little bit of a different way. Miracles are God's extraordinary actions in the world, and providence is God's ordinary actions in the world. And if God can work both extraordinarily as well as ordinary, then what does that mean for you? Well, let's just think about something that it means. I think that when you look at Scripture— there is a Bible verse that's pretty amazing. This is what it says. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He is talking about Jeremiah, who wrote that great book. You know, it's hard for me, as I read that, it's hard for me at times to think before I was born, that while I was still in my mother's womb, that he was crafting me to be a podcasting Anglican priest. I mean, hello, that's a, that's, really? I mean, that was something that you were, you did, Lord? I mean, why would you do that? A podcasting Anglican priest? But that's true, because that's what I am. I'm also a dad, and I'm also some other things, so it's not the only thing that I've been, but that's, that's essentially what the implication is. And for you, if you're a financial advisor, stay-at-home mom, teacher, uh, if you're an insurance salesman, whatever that is in your life, that God, through his providence, has brought you into that place. So he goes on, John Frame goes on and says, underline our thoughts, motives, actions, and attitudes is God's hand at work guiding our lives. Does that mean then we should sit back and do nothing? Are we completely passive in the process? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, because the Bible constantly teaches and talks about human responsibility, and you do have a responsibility in this life. You know, often we become concerned that God is somehow treating us like a puppet, but that's not what's in mind here. Um, what's in mind here is the freedom that comes when we realize that we are not victims of chance, that we're not victims of impersonal forces, you know, outside of our control. Honestly, it was really easy to feel that way when the market back in 2008 completely crashed. I mean, how many of us who had homes, I, I had a home, I took money out on my house and I felt compelled to do that. And, and partly was because of some financial advice from Christian brothers that I received back in 2006 was to borrow against my house. And they said, oh, yeah, the market's going to hold. We don't see the market falling. And then in 2008, of course, the market fell and the, the value of the house flipped upside down. I was in massive debt. But here's what happened. This is amazing. 
that money that I had borrowed, I didn't just go out and spend it on CDOs and other things. I had actually taken that money, put it aside, and that was the money that I used to live off for the first couple of years while I was in seminary. And listen, if I hadn't had that money, there was no way that I could be doing what I'm doing. I would not have even had the chance to listen to John Frame because it was during 2008 when I was studying under John Frame and, and learning all this stuff that I'm sharing with you today, it was all made possible because of the advice that I got in 2006. But in 2008, I looked at that and I thought I had made a huge mistake. And then in 2010, when it had even fallen even worse and we were in a full recession economically, I really thought I was in a uh, uh, situation. And then today, looking at it almost you know, 10 years later, I still own that house, but now I rent it and now it's become a, a passive source of income for me. And so the whole thing has just gone back and forth. And I can honestly tell you, is that God's providence working itself out? Absolutely. I can look back and see the hand of God's providence working in my life. What I can't do is look forward and see what God is doing. And that brings us back down to our understanding of risk. Because we can always look back at the hand of providence. And we can always look back and say, okay, is this going to be a miracle? But what do we do when we're looking forward? What is it that we can do when we're guiding and talking about plans that we're going to make? You know, all of the plans that we do really are just probabilities. This is what might happen. You know, I had these New Year's resolutions, and I'm going to actually talk about those in a, in a couple of weeks. But I had all these New Year's resolutions for the year. And as I look back on them, I'm really close to getting to most of them. I'm really, really close but it was a risk when I sat down and started actually writing out those New Year's resolutions. And I'm amazed at that, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the progress that I've made in those New Year's resolutions, but a lot of them were super risky. A lot of them, like this podcast, were super risky. It met some investments and some things that I had to do. And the question is, how did I overcome the issue of the fear of risk? And the answer is, when you have a confidence in your life, a baseline foundation that God's providential hand is at work in your life, that gives you the confidence that when you're looking at potential investments, new ventures, new things that are on the horizon, it should give you the confidence that you should move forward. The problem that we have today is that not enough Christians are acting Christian. They're acting more like Darwinian evolutionists who think that we live in a world of chance where there's no God, everything is a disaster, and if you go out and risk, you're going to succeed, or I mean, you're going to fail, and it's going to be awful, and there's going to be nothing there for you. That's just simply not true. I can tell you emphatically that the higher life that I talk about on this podcast comes from living a life that embraces risk, not stupidly and not in ignorance, but in a way that understands that under guiding uh, or undergirding your life is God's providence working itself out, shaping you, forming you, even informing your decisions. And that is a really cool thought to think that some of their best ideas that may in the future yield incredible results, those were there divinely inspired by you. And I think that that's what it means. Does that mean that you're going to have this economic success and that you're going to live a life according to the rich and famous? You remember that old show back, you know, whenever? Does it mean that you're going to have the HGTV life? 
where you, you know, remodel homes and do all these. No, it's going to be hard. Life is hard. Life is full of sin. Life is full of resistance. Life is full of challenges. Life is full of letdowns. People are not going to respond the way that you think they are. Your children are not going to respond and be the way you hope they will be. But I'm telling you, listen to me very carefully here. If you live a life where you fear risk, you are theologically wrong. Because risk ultimately does not exist in a world that is shaped by God's providential life. It does not exist in a world where God's hand is there with you every single day. And God's wisdom is available to us. And God's guidance is available to us. And when we understand God's word and we understand his precepts as they are intended to guide and shape our lives and decision-making, what I see in all of those things is an encouragement and an admonishment by God to engage in creative activities that are, yes, the world may say they're risky. Of course, becoming a priest, leaving my career was risky. But I look back at all of that, and I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't change any of it. I wouldn't change the past 10 years at all. I would not do anything differently because everything that I've done is building up on itself and I'm able to sit down today and talk with you and that's exciting to me and I hope that you're excited too. So that brings us to the conclusion. So you may have, and let me just kind of encourage you uh, as you are uh, facing your week and facing the new year, you may have a couple of things that you're just afraid of. You're like, man, this is just so risky. I want you to reassess your idea of risk there. And think through what that means. And get excited about it. Get excited about taking risks. Get excited about the things in your life that you can find encouragement from God, knowing that he has shaped you and formed you, even while you are in your mother's womb. And beloved, that brings me to the very end of this segment. Hey, listen, I hope this was helpful to you. I find it incredibly helpful to be reminded of God's providence in my life. And now, may the blessings of God... The grace of God, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verve Creative production. For show notes, updates, and more, visit jonathangsmith.com slash graceonfire.